This is the Horse Radio Network. What a beautiful day for horses in the morning. Good Tuesday morning, everybody. I am Glenn the Geek in Ocala, Florida. And I am Christy Landwehr from Aurora, Colorado. And you are listening to Horses in the Morning on the Horse Radio Network for this Tuesday, June 19th, episode 1956. This episode is brought to you by the Certified Horsemanship Association. Good morning, horse world. Houston, we have a problem. Ability equals skill plus knowledge. Bad feeling about this. Here's a safety tip for you from the Certified Horsemanship Association. Missed it by that much. How can I change this to make it better the next time? Help do I can. Yeah. Time for Training Tuesday on Horses in the Morning with the Certified Horsemanship Association. Good morning, everybody. Thank you for joining us this morning. And we are going to be talking about a topic that is one of our most requested topics over the last 10 years. And we're going to cover it in depth today. We're going to find out what that is in just a second. Christy is, of course, here on the third Tuesday of every month and has been for years and years and years and years and years. And uh, and we appreciate that. I missed you at uh, American Horse Publications over the weekend. Thank you, Glenn. I missed you as well. I always love that event. And we were in Hunt Valley at this hotel, which I haven't talked a whole lot about. Um, it was, it's been there a long time. It's a very fancy convention hotel. And the, let's just say the decorations are very horsey, but very tacky. So it, they had, in every bathroom apparently, they had this picture, a print of a bit. And it was a, like a bad photograph of a bit up, uh, that was uh, uh, vertical, and it was a uh, snaffle bit, and that was it. It was just a bit. <laughs> that was in every bathroom. We, we all were comparing notes on the tacky uh, decor. And then they loved doing this around the hotel, probably because it was cheap. They took horseshoes, brand new horseshoes, and they painted them black, and they put them in a frame. And there were painted black framed horseshoes everywhere. And, you know, I was thinking, that's a really cheap decoration when you think about it. Yeah, um, I just want to know, Glenn, were they facing up or facing up? down? They were facing up. Good. I so did notice that. I thought, I thought yeah, somebody that doesn't know anything about horses would have them all facing down, right? Yeah, uh, but they were facing good. up. Probably they were facing down until some, the first horse person came in and said, you got to turn those around. <laughs> so <laughs> <laughs> I thought about that. And then they had this most bizarre thing. When you were going down this one escalator, there was this huge wall uh, above the escalators. And you know how they usually put a big painting or they put a tapestry in there or something? Well, they had about... 15 very old beat up torn to shred saddles on sa- on brand new saddle racks Ew. just on the wall randomly wow yeah it was very odd it was it was yeah, if they had strange. been on would... old saddle racks it would have been you know it probably would have worked but they were right. on brand new shiny saddle racks with these very old beat up saddles and it, it just, that they probably bought you know at yard sales um, it was, it was bizarre. I mean, everything in this hotel was horsey, but it's, some of it was interesting. Let's just put it that way. 
You would think that they would have had just all fox hunting themes because it is Maryland after all. They did have uh, they did have a couple of fox hunting the mandatory fox hunting paintings that you see all the time. Uh, but yeah, some some of the decorations were bizarre. The bits in the bathroom, though, that just got us all. And probably if you're not a horse person, this was all very cool, right? It was uh, very horsey for you if you're not a horse person. As horse people were going, what? what? <laughs> so anyway, that was my hotel. Did yours have horses in uh, D.C.? Oh, my. So I was at American Horse Council in Washington, D.C. And yeah, no, it just had really expensive prices. Um, oh, my goodness gracious. Do not go to D.C., like downtown D.C. and expect oh, any convention? hotel to be inexpensive. Yeah, no. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> any of the bars, any of the restaurants. I mean, you're paying $18 for a hamburger. I'm like, whoa. I mean, I just always forget until I go to places like that about those kinds of things. And I just get a little bit shell-shocked. But no, yes, our country a, folk uh, that go to the city, that's what happens. Yeah. yeah, I know. It was total city mouse, country mouse. It was. <laughs> Very well, much so. Well, let's find out what the topic is we're tackling today that's been our most requested over 10 years. <laughs> well, it affects everyone. Coming up on today's CHA episode, we have three guests lined up. Beth Powers, James Rickner, and Phil Peterson. And they're all going to chat about rider fear and how hitting the trail can be a monumental task when the rider is in its clutches. And... A fun fact, on this day in 1905, about 450 people attended the opening day of the world's first Nickelodeon, ushering in the movie theater era. So stay tuned for the fray, folks. Huh, who knew? All right, so you were at the American Horse Council, and that's their annual meeting in Washington, D.C., and as we talked about here recently on the show, the American Horse Council is really, we had uh, Julianne, and she talked about what it is and what it does. It's really our legislative arm in D.C. to uh, to try and get changes done with the government that benefit horses and horse people and land and things like that. So what were the hot topics this year? Yes, as people probably expect, you know, commercial driver's license and electronic logging device. And for those of you that do anything like that, you'll be happy to know that the electronic logging device is not going to be required for anybody ag. It's a really? They took yeah. that back, huh? Took it away. That's See, here, here's the problem with that, though. Because horses are considered agricultural. Cool with that. But so are trucks who haul livestock who on all too frequent a basis because they're not required to do that kind of stuff, crash with their truckloads of livestock. But they still have to get a commercial driver's license. And that's for everybody listening that does anything for business purposes. As you drive down the road with your horses, you also have to have a commercial driver's license. Okay, so So, the CDL is going to be required. uh Uh-huh. It is. Okay. Yes. And there is still some, you know, correct. And there's some time required with a CDL. You still have to pull over at rest stops. I mean, you still have to do some stuff. You just don't have to do it electronically. Right. You still have to keep your log book. You still have to log, correct. But you're only going to have to log now in pen and paper. I think they assume that maybe as livestock people aren't as good at computers and aren't fast enough. I'm not really sure. (laughs) What they, what they don't realize is we're not really good at log books either. So. <laughs> yeah, no, they're a pain in the butt. They yeah. are. If you're not used to having to do that, they're a pain in the butt. Yeah. No, so those, as a CDL driver, you would still have the requirements that every 10 or 12 yeah. hours or whatever it is, you have to pull over for four or five hours or whatever the rule is. Yeah. Uh, and then the CDLs is the usual requirements if you're over 25,000 pounds combined and all that stuff, right? So, Correct. okay. Yep, that's all the same. So all right. For those well, of you that do anything like that, just kind of heads up that it's still required. So, what else yes. did you, what else was the topics over there? 
Oh, you know, we talked a lot about um, just horses and categorization of them, whether they're pets, livestock, or somewhere in between. Um, and that they're pet stock. Can, it's very, it's true. You know, if you really think about it, they <laughs> yeah. kind of are both. Yeah. Yes, with from a lot of reasons. And I think a lot of us, you know, we want them as pets. We consider them as pets. But truly, those of us that live on acreage or have boarding barns, boy, if they change the rule and make them pets and not livestock, there goes our Ag 2 status. There goes our com- commercial um, farm plates on our vehicles that we use. There goes, you know, our water rights for our wells. I mean, there's going to be a lot of tax implications. So that was interesting. Just to chat about that. And then, um, oh, there was a lot on immigration issues for a lot of our big boarding barns and tracks and things. Um, they were very uh, into a lot of discussion about those types of things. And then, of course, trailering, you know, making sure that trailering is safe, especially for the horses that are going across the border to Mexico and Canada. So a lot of uh, talk about that, too. So many different things. But I'll tell you, um, I had to wear a suit every day, and I'm not used to doing that. So that was kind of exciting. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I know the feeling. The <laughs> I part couple... I recall very vividly. Yeah, I have a couple of... I had to wear a tie. Like, I was ah. like, tie it three times to get it the right length. And... <laughs> Sorry, yes. I, know that, I know what you're going but through. I've got to go to the dry cleaners ahead of time. And, oh, yeah, all that stuff. Anyways, it was, it was a good meeting. Yeah. I mean, Ashley and Cliff and Brian and everybody did a great job. Good. All right, so today we're going to be talking about uh, fear on, on riding on the trail, and it is something that I think every horse person comes across in one way or another, whether it's a short-term fear or a long-term fear, it happens to every one of us. Oops, I think I might have lost Christy. I agree 100%, oh, and I'll just kind of dive in with one. Am I, I'm still here. You're though, breaking up. You're breaking up on us pretty bad, um, so... I don't know what to do about that. Well, let's just, let's see if it, sometimes it goes away with you. So let's just keep, keep going here. Okay. All right. Sorry. Soldier on. So, um, I will soldier on. So when I had children, before I had had children, I had never really had fear. I just do my thing on horses. And then I had children and all of a sudden I got the hormones surging and there was fear. And it was intense enough that I really needed to analyze it afterwards and go, what am I going to do? And I really had to go to someone to help get over that fear and to go to a riding instructor that was truly good at that. And she got me over it as far as the bow racing and the pole bending. She did not get me over it as far as the jumping forefoot anymore. I don't do that anymore. <laughs> um, part of that is also age, of course. But you I know, think there's a lot of people that don't fear. jump four feet, and though. So. so I I know, I know. But back in the day, I did Glenn and I wanted the glory days, but denied. <laughs> No more glory days for me. So I think that, you know, fear is huge and it it does impact our lives in so many ways. And, you know, it's healthy to have some fear. They are 1,200 pound animals that can spontaneously combust at any given time, right? And do things. So I think it is healthy to have it. But to just kind of understand what your fear is and how it operates and don't let it overcome you, I think is the key. So now you worked as a wrangler at a at a, a riding place, a dude ranch kind of place. So you must have seen it every day. You know, it, that was a great summer. I learned a lot, and I was straight out of college. So I was pretty young, and yes, it was here in um, Colorado. It's the reason I moved from California to Colorado. I love the experience so much. But 
most of the time, you know, we could just talk the person through it and keep them on the horse and everything was good. But one time we had a young boy um, who was riding in front and we were going up a single track trail. I was drag wrangler, so I was at the back. There was a cliff on one side that went straight up and a cliff on the other side that went straight down. So there was no emergency stop in a circle. It was called straight line. And it was a shaly, single track, kind of slippery trail. But the horses did it every day. They're, you know, nose to tail. They're doing their deal. No problem. So right in front of me was the 12-year-old boy. And right in front of him was his mom. And the 12-year-old boy decided he was done. So I said, well, you need to close your eyes. Well, he was done. He was not going to do anything. And there was no, I couldn't do anything. So I radio my, my head Total wrangler, meltdown, my lead huh? wrangler. Yeah, my head wrangler is my boss. And I said, what do you want me to do, Scott? And he goes, you've got to have him stay on. Well, he wouldn't stay on. So he finally just gets off his horse. I go, Scott, he's getting off. And he goes, have him hold the horse's tail. So he held the horse's tail of his mom's horse. And then I said, okay, so now what do I do with these two horses? He goes, you're going to have to back them up. You need to take them on back. I go, can't I just continue on? He's like, no. He goes, just, just take them back to the ranch. So I had to back up two horses down this shale trail. <laughs> Talk about fear. It was the most crazy experience <laughs> in my life. And I remember not liking that little boy for the rest of that week very much. Did I not like him did. or his mother. Yeah, no. <laughs> no, that was not good. So he actually, so let's get this. This is somebody that knows nothing about horses. He felt safer holding the tail at the back end of a horse for the rest of the way than riding. Yeah, it was crazy. <laughs> there's nothing dangerous about being at the back end of a horse holding the tail. Nothing. Isn't that insane? And the fact that this Wrangler head guy who ran this program, what that was his plan. I'm like, hey, that's a bad plan. No, I don't know why you couldn't just... The other horse would have followed along, let's face it. So, of course. I mean, yes. Even if you didn't pony him, he would have been right there. Of course. Wasn't getting left behind. So. No, isn't that crazy? You so, must yeah, have so seen think- it with a lot of people, though, there. Yes. And, you know, it was funny because it didn't matter age. It didn't matter um, anything. You know, fear is undiscriminatory. It attacks everybody. I mean, I was shocked at some of the people like these big guys, big old burly guys. I'm thinking, oh, they're not going to have any fear. They get on and their voices get really high and they go, I don't know about this. <laughs> oh, <laughs> interesting. <laughs> you know, we, uh, I think and then there's, you know, there's short term fear and justified fear, too. Like, I, you know, when I first got Scooter, he had this bolting habit. So when we'd go out around the neighborhood and we'd go out, you know, trails or whatever. Uh, yeah, I had a fear he was going to bolt because he did. Um, so, you know, once we got, once I kind of got uh, over to the fact that I could, I could handle it when he did, then I had less fear. Yes. Um, but yeah, I was, I was very afraid that he was going to bolt right into an ca- oncoming car, you know, when we were out on the road. And, you know, because, oh, absolutely. you know, so... I guess, I don't know, is that fear or is that rightful concern? Is there a difference? (laughs) I think that's a really good point. I would say rightful concern that also then triggers your fear mechanism, because what is the fear mechanism in your body, right? It gets your adrenaline going. And when your adrenaline's going, you're in fight or flight response, and you're going to do one or the other. And he was too. I mean, that's the Uh other thing, right? So when you escalate both of you, right, it doesn't go well. And so that's why they say, you know, fearful rider on a fearful horse is a disaster, right? That, That doesn't work very well. So um, most of the time, it's really good if you have a horse that's afraid. Hopefully, you're not, and vice versa. And I do think that com- you're, you're right. I do think that comes with 
practice and experience too, doesn't it? I mean, you can't overcome the fear of the trail without ever getting on the trail. That's the first thing. And we're going to talk a lot about that today with, with all of our guests who are going to be talking about this topic. And we're going to cover, you know, what do you do and how do they deal with students that have this problem? Because, you know, Certified Horsemanship Association is, is meant for instructors, and every instructor deals with this at some point or another. Yes. Uh, if not every week or every day, you know, they're all dealing with this particular problem. Very true. And some of the fears in the arena only, but this particular topic today is trail because you know what's so funny is that most people's first experience on a horse glen is going to one of these day ride trail guide operators and going for an hour down the trail. That's their first experience. But in my opinion, the trail is much more scarier and much many more things can happen than in the arena, right? You got the deer in certain parts of the country. You've got the paper bags on urban trails in other part of the country. We, I mean, you've got so many things. You know, I'm not a great ride. I ride occasionally, but not one of my favorite things to do. I drive. So uh, we go out trail riding in the Smoky Mountains, and they took us out privately, just the two of us. Uh, as soon as they heard we were from the Horse Radio Network, they took us. They didn't know that I you know, didn't ride much. So they put me on this really lovely horse, and the first thing, as we're getting to the bottom of the mountain in the Smoky Mountains, we go over this little bridge, and a turkey flies out of the tree and comes down and like hits my horse's head and flies off. Uh, so there, that was the start of my trail ride in the Smoky Mountains was this turkey coming down and hitting my horse's head. So yes, anything can happen. The horse was fine, by the way. (laughs) Yes, but isn't that crazy? Who would have known? He's probably been hit in the head before by the same turkey. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I, uh have a question that has come in. And I think you and Jennifer, do we get Jennifer in on this one, um, can help with this. And this, I won't give the lady's name, but she said, would love to get over my fear. I rode all my life and have four horses now, but I fell in the backyard in 2010 and had to have major back surgery. So I haven't ridden since 2010. How can I overcome this and get back in the saddle? Well, now we've got eight years since 2010, right? And and a broken back. So that is a ton. This is probably one of the most extreme examples we're going to find, right? That's a lot. Jen, you go ahead and dive in, and then I'll counter. <laughs> dive in and counter. One of the things we used to do back in the day when we would have clients come in who wanted to fox hunt but had zero riding experience. Uh, and generally speaking, those people wanted to get out and fox hunt. They didn't want to spend two, three, four, five years learning how to ride. So we had this little system where we focused completely on the rider's ability to stay on the horse in as many circumstances as possible. Because frequently, when riders have a generalized fear, what I would even I would even um, qualify it as a phobia because it's it's seemingly unfounded. What are you afraid of? I don't know. I'm just, I'm just scared. Right. Um, so we would get through the basics on a lunch in lunch lessons so that you could walk and trot and canter in a correct position and feel secure and confident, which depending on the rider could take as little as six to 10 lessons. Sometimes it took longer. It was up to the rider, but then we would, we would start to do things like suddenly ask the horse to, halt without telling the rider we were going to do that or we would suddenly turn the horse to the left if we were going left and not tell the rider we were going to do that to simulate things that are going to happen in the open whether it's in the hunt field or on a trail ride the horse might stop dead while you're trotting along because he sees something ahead of him well you need to be prepared as much as you can but more importantly 
You need to feel confident that when that happens, you are going to continue to feel safe. So the horse screeches to a halt. You get thrown up onto his neck, but you're in an arena and you have somebody attached to your horse with a lunge line and you feel pretty confident of that person keeping you safe. So your unconscious reaction is going to be very different than that happening in a trail ride where immediately fear and adrenaline kick in and you kind of panic. And you do those sorts of things so that the rider becomes confident in their ability to stay on board the horse or perhaps come off the horse, but they're going to come off the horse in a very different fashion than clinging to the horse out of fear for their life and getting their foot stuck and being dragged away. Uh, so, so that I found to be an extremely useful process. So here we got, we, well, I'm going to go back to this lady again. Here we have a lady that has four horses now, but hasn't ridden since 2010. <clears throat> and, you know, I'm not an instructor, but basically what it comes down to is she's got to get help, not with her horses that haven't been written for eight years either. That's a, that's that's asking for disaster, that's right? right? Um, she's that's got to get help yeah. and on horses that are bombproof. I don't know if that's where you were going to go with this, uh, Christy, but... Yeah, and I'll yeah. tell you something, too. What she needs to do is, um, and first of all, getting back on horses herself that she knows for sure, um, because they're with a reputable instructor, are very good horses that can get her over fear. But with her own horses, it's groundwork. So you start off with the round pen work, and you start off with having the horse you know, follow you and do all those kinds of things that we do in those situations. And then you build up to lunging your own horse. And then you build up to, okay, I'm just going to go ahead and with somebody else there, hopefully an instructor, get on my horse at the walk. Oh, look, I walked. Or I'm off. I'm not doing anything right. more today. Oh, look, now I'm going to get on yep. my horse. And today we're going to trot in a straight line, which is much easier than a circle, from point A to point B in my arena. Oh, look, I did that. I'm getting off. Oh, look, today I'm going to canter. attainable goals. In a straight line. Every lesson does not need to be a mountain that you overcome. You don't. That's perfect. I love that, Christy. That set goals that you can look forward to setting it. You get up and you go, the lesson I'm supposed to do today, we're going to trot for one long side. That's our long-term goal for the thing. And I can't wait to try that. That is perfect. Yep. And even, you know, set up two cones, one at the beginning where you're going to start the trot and one at the end and know that you're not going to make the corner because the corner is the corner, right? You're just going to do the straight line. And so you just have these really small bite-sized chunks that you can um, take and run with and hopefully have that success because that's that's a pretty intense situation there. And I so appreciate um, her question because that's a lot to overcome, but I think it's very doable and I think she can do it in small increments, but not alone. Yeah, not alone. And I think the, a lot of people think that they have to do it alone. Or you know, maybe she doesn't have the resources either. We don't know that. We don't know about resources right. and what she has available. And But this is going to be a tough one to overcome without help. It really is. I mean, there's just – it does come to a point with a, not just this, but anything in life that sometimes you just need help. And, yeah, you yeah. You, you almost have to find the resources to get that help. And that in this particular – I've got a suggestion yep. for someone who doesn't have resources. Okay. Let's say you don't have resources. You live in an area where riding instructors are not really available to you. First thing you can do is find clinics to go to where you can sit on a horse. Because all of the watching in the world is not necessarily going to help. You do need to sit on a horse. So that's first. And second, even if all you've got is your backyard and a set of cones that you bought at Walmart, go through that process of tiny baby steps and get your... Uh, your friend 
to videotape it. Just stand there in the yard and videotape it. They might not know anything about a horse, but they can tape it, and then you can watch it back on your phone. And you can watch that, and you can compare to videos that you're watching that it, where it's done correctly or there are certain problems. You go, wait a minute, look at me. I picked up a trot at the first cone, and by the time I got to the, my second cone, 10 strides later, my horse was starting to get quick, and I felt uncomfortable. But when I've watched this video, look at what happened to my position. I fell forward a lot, and my heels went up. You didn't know that was happening, but by watching the video, you did. Yeah, I'm going to stop you there because I think you're way beyond what this person is. They need somebody to lead the horse like they were six years old on their first trail ride. And that's, uh, having been fearful uh, in the past, I'm I'm thinking what you just said is way beyond where I am right now. And I'm putting myself in her shoes. (laughs) Uh, I'm at the point where I need to get on the horse, and that's the hard part, right? I need to actually put my foot over that saddle, get on the horse, and make those first couple steps. Well, you need somebody leading the horse to do that when you first do this. Am I wrong there, Christy? No, I think you're right. And I also think, Glenn, that then you need somebody that knows how to lunge because then you probably need to be lunged on your horse. And even though that circles, right, I I think that then you know that that person is in control. And to be honest with you, you can take it one step further and you can have, um, if the horse that you're riding, if it's a school horse, you're going to know that it's used to this. If it's your own horse, make sure to do this before you get on your horse, but put side reins on the horse. So then you're not even dealing with the horse's head at all. And you can truly just ride the horse with somebody lunging the horse just at the walk and then maybe just at the trot and then just really slowly kind of get back into it, knowing that that horse is in these side reins, which is going to keep their head down, which actually makes the endorphins in the horse um, calm them down. That's what that's why horses in that position are calmer than horses whose heads are up and they're inverted and they're looking at the line about to maybe get them right. That's why we do the side reins. So things like that. And that is with either a professional or if you don't have one near you, it is with um, somebody who you trust, who you know can handle doing that. Um, Though not everyone can lunge unless they know how to lunge. So kind of keep that in mind. But Jen, going back to what you said, I like your video idea too, because I think that when people see themselves, they sometimes on video, they go, oh my goodness, I had no idea I was doing that. And that's helpful for any stage of writing, whether you're fearful or not. That's that's a very helpful thing to do. And... Again, getting back to, we don't know about these four horses that are in your yard. Um, they may not be the right ones to do this with at first because we don't know. We don't know what they Correct. are. Correct. I'll tell you, good old school horses, if she can find a barn near her, chainstructors.com. Sorry, got to There do you go. I was going to have right? you te- give her that, chainstructors.com. Yeah. Yep. That Because that will really give you some folks, and, hopefully, near you. And depending on resources, and I don't know what you have, whatever these four horses, the first one you want to take out and start riding with again, you may want to... It might give you more confidence if you get some professional help in bringing that horse for 30 days. Send that horse away for 30 days for, some profes- for a refresher course. It may give you more confidence that the horse has been worked with before you get back on. Right. And um, I think that's huge, too. And there's a big difference between a horse trainer and a riding instructor. Right. So make sure that those things are being taken care of. Well, the like, instructor that works with you might not be able to also work with the horses. Just last, know that last you know, Thursday, yeah. Mary Kitzmiller was, was on and she is a she is a horse trainer. She's not a riding instructor. She's a horse trainer. And that's the kind of person you're going to need is, is yes. a horse trainer. And, yes. And then I think if you do if you do you separately from your horse, you do your horse and then you have help when the two of you match up again. Yep, Make sure you have help for the first several times that you're, you're matching up again, whoever that is. Um, 
I think that's going to, I think that was a great conversation. And thank you to the listener who sent this in. Yeah, I, I think I that's wonderful. <laughs> and I would like to, Glenn, just go back to what we yeah. were talking about earlier in regards to horses and some things. So I had a horse once that I rode that was very deathly afraid of water. And so my husband went with me on a horse that's not afraid of water and went through the water first. And my horse was like, oh, I don't know. I still am not comfortable doing it. So we committed. And we committed to however long it took because the problem is if you're going to tackle fearful horse on the trail and not accomplish your goal, then you've instilled in that horse, excellent, I really don't have to do it. So you have to accomplish your goal. So we started out at 9 a.m. on a Saturday morning trying to do a water crossing. We were done at 4 in the afternoon. Wow. Now, we stopped for lunch in the middle. We took breaks when he got too hot and his sides were heaving because he was very afraid. We did all kinds of good animal welfare during this to make sure that, you know, horse and me, rider, were both okay. (laughs) But bless his heart, one foot in the water, spin to the right. One foot in the water, spin to the left. One foot in the water, spin to the right. I mean, this is the game we played. And my husband, meanwhile, is laying on the bank on the other side with the other horse rolling in the water because he loves it so much, just hanging out, getting a suntan, (laughs) waiting for me because I had to have somebody there, right, to guide, to help be there for me psychologically and for the horse you never want a, a, an afraid horse to be on the trail by itself that well, idea they need to have a horse buddy. Too. <laughs> horse buddy exactly so finally bless his heart this horse gets in and it was a relatively deep water crossing it came up to about his belly and he just stood there like oh this feels so good because it was a hot summer day and he's like this is excellent and he was he that he didn't want to leave the water he's like i'm good i'm just gonna stay right here in the water i'm good and now bless his heart but i still have this horse today and he crosses water like a champion he's now the one that leads others into the water so it was a great day spent but you have to commit time very good well our next guest is ready Wonderful. So excited to introduce Phil Peterson. Phil has been with CHA since 1980. He has our Distinguished Service Award, which is one of our most highly coveted awards. He serves as the Region 1 Director as well as a clinic instructor for our English Western Program, Pack and Trail Out into the Wilderness, as well as Day Ride Trail Guide, Equine Facility Manager, Driving, and he's a site visitor. That's a lot. He's also been on our board for 12 years um, in the past, and his experience includes 30 years in youth camp management, most recently at Miracle Ranch in Port Orchard, Washington. And he's currently helping his daughter with a startup lesson and boarding facility. And not to mention, Phil has 18 grandchildren, so he's got a lot going on. Hi, Phil. How are you today? Good morning, Christy. I'm doing great. Good. So wonderful to have you on our call today. Good to be here. So tell us a little bit about your neck of the woods. How is everything going on there in Washington? Well, you know, uh, I moved from the evergreen side of the state. and Nobody thinks about desert in Washington state, but I live in the middle of the Columbia Basin, and we are uh, always grateful for rain. And this time of year, the farmers like a little bit of rain to plump up the wheat. And uh, so we got some last night, and uh, but we have blue skies today, so it's... Uh, beautiful day in the neighborhood we flew over uh, washington a couple couple weeks ago and i was it is shocking when you see the one half of the state and then the other half of the state and you see it so clearly when you're flying over go from one to the other Absolutely. and you're right nobody thinks about washington being desert that's way up there you know so it's like no. yeah you have both sides of the coin there in washington which is lovely yes it is 
Yeah, I think the Cascades are some of the most beautiful natural beauty in the country. And uh, spent some time up there and enjoy that as well. So, Phil, let's dive right in. Tell us, so that all of our listeners know a little bit more about you, what is your background in trail riding in particular and training horses and humans to go out on the trail? Well, like most people, I started school of hard knocks and uh, worked my way up from there. And uh, CHA definitely has been an important part of my uh, uh, professional training in terms of, of doing things safely. And uh, as a uh, riding instructor, I um, at, at the last program that I was at, we did over my time there pro- over 600,000 trail rides for individuals. And uh, so my, uh, my advice to most people is get a horse you can trust. But if you're trying to train a horse, that's a whole different story. And um, we, we've spent some time with, with horses on the trail, and uh, the, that is always a rewarding experience. I heard you talk about your water crossing story, and, and uh, th- those are always a, a little nerve-wracking if you've got one horse that just doesn't want to go. So that's interesting. So tell us, Phil, and you know you don't have to name names to protect folks, but I would love some specific examples over those 600,000 rides, that's a lot of rides, of some issues that you had to deal with fear on the trail for the rider. What were some of those examples, right. and how did you get the folks through it? Well, uh, one of the most memorable experiences that we had was working with inner city kids, and you know they had never been out of the city. This is their first experience you know, on across the bridge, their first experience in the woods, their first experience w- around horses. And, you know, they get on and, you know, the, the, the fear in their eyes is evident, you know, and they're, as soon as they take a step, you know, it, it's moving, it's moving. <laughs> so they, uh, and uh, w- one of the, the greatest rewards is seeing those kids come back with big smiles on their face and they're giving their horse a hug and, and you know, knowing that they had a positive experience, you know, and uh, so those are always good. Um, the, the other experiences, you know, being in the wilderness, you know, you, you never know what you're going to experience. And, and we've done some packing and, and um, you know, cross rivers and climbed mountains and, and, and that type of thing. And, and uh, uh, probably the, the most fearful thing for me was um, we were packing horses and we had crossed this rock shale slide and there was a log laying down that somebody had cut in half well the pack saddle grabbed the log and turned it and this log started rolling down the hill at 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 the other riders that were behind me and and uh you know those are things that you can't prepare for (laughs) you you just don't think about logs rolling towards you (laughs) but um you know that your horses are worth their weight in gold when they they don't panic they just move out of the way and and uh, that you're thankful for that. That is quite the story. I wouldn't want a log rolling towards me either. No. No. No, rolling away from me would be much better. <laughs> yes, exactly. Oh, boy. Oh, what's it went past? This is rolling away from us. <laughs> That's true. There you go. Oh, goodness. 
So um, what in your particular situations are tools that folks should do if they have experienced fear in the past? And this is not for the first time rider. This is for the people that have ridden before, but they've had some sort of a scary experience, be it a fall or whatever the case may be. What are your particular thoughts on ways to help them out to get them back riding again? Right. Um, I think the confidence is is the most important thing um and I, I like your progression you know using small steps and and successes to build on your writing experience uh the late great ray hunt said uh the, the best thing you can do for your horse is make it their idea you know and in that horse human relationship is you know when you're writing it has to be the horse's idea to you know walk over this obstacle or walk through the creek or whatever. And, and if you can build a relationship where, you know, you encourage this horse, you know, through, through your riding ability and it becomes their idea, um, then it's a beautiful experience. If, if you're always fighting against them, you know, it's like bickering, you know, between two individuals, it, it, it never accomplishes what you really want it to, to do in a beautiful way so um that's uh that's what i encourage people to do is you know first you have to get along with your horse you know make them do things uh, that that are their idea and you know whether it be you know desensitizing to an and an item like you know a tarp or you know simulated obstacles that you can put into their lives that you know they begin to realize, hey, this person that's riding me is not going to put me in harm's way. This thing's not going to get get me, and um, and and just be calm through the experience. Your horse is going to appreciate that a whole lot more. Phil, I love that idea of make it the horse's idea. I had a horse that did not like mountain bikes. And when I grew up in California, there was a lot of mountain bikes on our trail. So I had my brother get on one and go away from me. And I had my horse chase him on the mountain bike. And so when he felt like he was driving the mountain bike, that was a whole lot better than when he felt like the mountain bike was chasing him. And he almost had fun with it to the point where we're out on trail. He'd start like following after the bikes when they would come by because that was the game that we had started to play with my brother. So I think that's a super idea that that you just brought up about making it the horse's idea. Um, Yeah, it's a real simple read that uh, it's called Harmony with Horses. I, I, I recommend it. Yeah, I think that that's a great idea. So if people are out and something is actually occurring, and let's just do something in particular. So they, um, let's say, normally are not too fearful, but they go out on the trail and it's just not a good day. The wind starts picking up and the trees are blowing and they just feel tight and the horse feels tight and everything's some ideas when they're out and about. Like you reckon get off and lead? Would you rather them always stay on? What are some specific thoughts like that when they're actually in the moment? Well, here's that's where horse training comes in really handy. If you trained your horse with good ground manners and they're not going to jump on top of you or you know try to run away from you, uh, you know, leading your horses is a, a great way to just calm them down. You can put your hands on them. You can you can be the lead and and you know use their their join up. Uh, relationship with you to to build confidence, um, uh, but if 
your horse is not going to do that if they're going to s- step on you or run away from you and pull, drag you down the trail that's it's probably not the safest place to be so you know you're going to have to uh, judge for yourself where where your best place to be i mean normally on a trail ride we would never dismount our riders and have them lead regardless because you know as we know most incidents with horses happen between the time the rider approaches the horse and the time they get on. So on their back is generally the safest place to be. So I would agree with you wholeheartedly. In the group environment, yeah, getting off is not a good idea. But if you're just out there one at a time, maybe. But I, I think you're right. If you yep. can stay on and get through something um, when the fear is happening, that's probably your better bet. Very good. So what are some um, particular things, we'll move from the rider now to the horse, for those that are listening that maybe have a fearful horse, a young horse, an inexperienced horse, what are some things, um, exercises that you would them do with their horse both on and off and both before and after and during the ride that might be helpful? Sure. Well, horses are creatures of conditioned reflex, uh, meaning that they do things by they learn by doing things over and over again. So, you know, your experience with the the water, for example, you know, is a a great example of that. You know, once your horse learned to cross that water, it's no big deal anymore. And you can, you know, do the same thing. Um, Obviously, you're going to run into new new experiences and new obstacles uh, if you're out riding on trails all the time. But the more you can condition your horse to respond appropriately to to new items, uh, the better off they're going to be. So, um, you know, some horses just don't like to be by themselves. So, you know, riding with somebody else and then, you know, gradually, you know, take your horse out farther and farther every day. You know, I had a horse once that, you know, he'd go out about, you know, maybe a half a mile and then he'd spin around and he's he's headed back to the other horses and you know those are you know habits that you have to uh, gradually uh, you know work through and and I think it it goes back to your example of taking baby steps you know and and working that horse you know not putting yourself in harm's way but encouraging that horse to go beyond its comfort zone and making it their idea like we talked about before so um, and there's lots of you know uh, we had a a guy that brought a Barbie Jeep to our conference, and he drugged this Barbie Jeep with somebody riding in it around the arena. And uh, you know, it's generally not something that you ask your horse to do, but you know, it showed the the benefit of conditioning your horse to things that you know they're not normally going to have to experience. So. Okay, Phil, I love that. My kids have all kinds of remote everything. They've got remote helicopters. They've got remote Jeeps, remote trucks, all kinds of remote things. What a great idea. And this brings up, you know, our friend Julie Goodnight, who, of course, is our spokesperson, right? She just recently got a drone camera for her TV show. And she said they had to desensitize all the horses to the drone camera because these things fly above their head, right? So you don't think about using that type of technology and modern. That's a wonderful idea to do that in the arena prior because, oh boy, is that going to get them used to the jackrabbit coming up out of the bush or the turkey or whatever, if it's flying. Oh, I love that idea. That's great. 
So is there anything in particular that you want to add on this subject for either the fearful writer who um, has had lots of experience, but then let's say they did get into a situation where they hurt themselves or something or the fearful horse or anything else? What other things would you like to share with our listeners today? Well, our goal is always to have a positive experience. And, um, and I guess, you know, if you have a fearful horse, um, getting them through that and, you know, using the, the herd instinct of a horse is not a, a bad idea. You know, taking that horse out with a buddy who's going to give him some, some confidence and, you know, taking that into consideration. You know, we always had way better experiences with a group of, you know, bomb-proof horses that, you know, anything could happen um, than trying to take out some green horses that maybe hadn't experienced uh, those things. So um, I think that, you know, in the spirit of the late, great uh, Roy Rogers, you know, happy trails is what we're always about, right? That is very true. The more of those we can have, the better. So, Phil, how do people find you and track you down there in Washington if they want more information? Well, I'm listed in the ctinstructors.com website, and uh, Angle Iron Ranch is uh, my profile in Facebook, so they can get a hold of me there. Well, we so appreciate you being on the show today. Thank you so much, Phil. It's been my pleasure. So, I am thrilled to introduce Beth. Glenn, she's my boss, so you have to be nice to her. Oh, okay. Yes, she is the current yes, president ma'am. Yes, ma'am. of yes, yes of right. uh, CHA, <laughs> and she's with, uh, in Bell Fountain, Ohio. She's a certified CHA instructor with us and an overnight guide, as well as a site trainer and visitor. She was the equestrian director for the Bar W Ranch at the YMCA Camp Wilson in Bell Fountain. She oversaw over 50 horses, a staff, and all the lesson programs, trail rides, summer camps, and overnight events. So she has seen a lot of this topic. Hello, Beth. How are you today? I'm doing well, thank you. So how is everything in Bell Fountain? Well, we had some rain, then it got just ridiculously hot. I had to save a couple of frogs from the pool skimmer the other day. Felt sorry for them, but they just couldn't be there because I was going to put chemicals in later, and that was not going to be good. No, they would not have liked that second dose of chlorine. They would have thought that was a no-go. Well, it is. It's even right. warm here. We're in Denver. We're having such incredible heat. But then, thank goodness, we got a little bit of rain the other day. But, yeah, it's it's definitely been hot. So tell us, before we launch into this topic in depth, Beth, what is your background in trail riding and training horses and humans for the trail experience? Well, um, as you stated, I worked at Camp Wilson for a long time, and most of my experience was in that first touch one-hour trail ride, and thankfully, I had a wonderful, just an exceptional group of horses that would follow the leader, no matter what the rider was doing. So a lot of it was, again, with outdoor education programs. It was sixth-grade people, boys and girls, a lot of inner-city kids, and um, a lot of times it was their first touch on a large animal. It wasn't uncommon for somebody to exclaim that once I put them on the horse that it was moving and that it was breathing, which is always a good thing. People forget the breathing part. And I'll tell you, when they suck in their breath and hold their breath, oh, that doesn't work so well. So, yes, the breathing part is huge. 
So what are well, some not only for the Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. I said, well, not only for the people, but they felt the horse actually breathing beneath them. And that uh, was something unusual. Yeah, it is always good when the horse is breathing because it never goes well if they're not. Yeah. So, yeah. Because <laughs> they do the same thing. They suck at their breath and right. then they're about to flee. Right. right. Absolutely. <laughs> so true. So, um, I know you had a lot of people that were on for the first time and you had a lot of people that maybe had been on before, but it had something not so good happen or something like that. So what are some examples of things, some specific examples of clients like that had an issue on the trail and how did you help them overcome it? Well, um, a lot of, first of all, what I would do is I would get, I would acknowledge their, their fear and their feelings. I wouldn't just just downplay it like, oh, you'll be okay. I acknowledge the fact that they were a little nervous. I tried to give them some confidence in not only myself, but the horse that they were on. And then go from there. Uh, Lots of times we're in a large group. And so I wanted the riders to be successful in that group. And I had other people around them give them encouragement as well. And I knew once we got going uh, that things would go things would, go, would be fine. Um, sometimes there were a few tears shed, but we just sort of kept going down the trail. And then generally by the time we got back, they were all smiles and wanted to do it again. So there was constant encouragement on the trail. Um, I tried to put, on, put them on a horse that wasn't going to eat the whole time because that can be very scary. And it was just a lot of, uh, again, confidence-boosting always sort of checking in as we were walking along. I had wonderful staff that worked with me also. And if that person or that child just couldn't uh, do it by themselves, um, a lot of times one of the staff members would volunteer to walk with them so they could be successful in front of their friends. That's a good idea. And I'm glad that you had enough staff to be able to walk with them. I think that's, that's huge when you can do that one, especially for kids having that confidence of somebody next to him. So was there anything that you did ahead of time in an arena or an enclosed space that would possibly help if fear happened when out and about on the trail? Well, I, I was thinking about this question. I go back to what uh, Daniel Stewart used to say. Remember him? He, he spoke at our conferences. He's a trainer and a coach and an author. And he talked about words that started with the letter C. And so I thought, well, these are wonderful words like courageous and confident and caring. So I would use these words talking with the riders as we do a little practice circle in the arena or maybe a little practice circle in the yard to try to get them thinking about these C words and even to tell them in their, little, in their head as they walked along I'm confident. I'm courageous. I can do this. It's okay. I'll be fine. He also had another trick, too. He would have, if a rider was really nervous, like before a test or whatever they're doing, he would have them sing a song to themselves. You pick your favorite song and you just sing it to yourself. Or out loud, whatever. Um, But that was one of the tricks that he he always used the song thing. And that is such a good idea, too. If you're singing, you can't hold your breath. <laughs> right, exactly, exactly. Um, uh, now, in my case, other people might be holding their breath when I'm singing, but uh, not me. I'll be fine. <laughs> so, 
<laughs> now, I do have a question. Christy, the one thing that we run into the most and the most uh, common is somebody falls off and then they have a fear of getting up. And, you know, they could be a very experienced rider who falls off. Uh, maybe they get hurt, maybe they don't, but they're just, you know, lacking confidence after that. So, Beth, what do you do then? How do you help somebody regain their confidence after falling off? Well, of course, again, you have to acknowledge their fear and their trepidation for getting back on. Um, you can have them walk a little bit with you. You can put them, um, I, sometimes I put them on my horse and I would walk along with them. Um, and that would help them. They would be right next to me. Uh, but I, I think with older riders, it's a little bit trickier because, of course, we don't, we don't bounce back literally when we fall like kids do. Uh, and sometimes the distance away from the barn is a great motivator. You can walk the whole trail for the next 45 minutes or try to get back on and, and see about riding it. And I think, too, what, that was interesting what you said about getting on your horse, because I think that they also lose, com just like when my pony was bolting in the carriage, you kind of lose confidence in in your pony, and maybe they lose confidence in you, too. It's probably a two-way street. but and, and that takes time to rebuild. So, But first, got to rebuild that rider's confidence before they can go back to that horse and work on that relationship again, right? Oh, that's so true. And my horse is pretty good size. So when I put a sixth grader up on her, um, you know, she would just follow me anywhere for the most part. Um, so that the child had to realize, oh, I'm getting on this giant horse, but I was okay up on her. Now the smaller pony, I think I might be able to tackle again. All right. Yeah, no, that, that makes sense. And I'll tell you, you know, with, that kind of leads you into some horses are very stoic, right? Like your mare. And some horses are very not stoic. So, and I, obviously in your camp program, you probably weeded those kinds of horses out right away and you didn't use them in your program. But I'm sure in your experience, you've had horses that are also afraid on the trail because even your stoic ones can have a moment where they don't want to cross the bridge or they don't want to go over the creek or whatever the case is. So how did you work with horse rider combinations when those kinds of things happened? Well, generally, as a whole group, we would stop, and we would kind of look and watch the, the Amish buggy go by, or we had a lot of deer on the trail, and many times the deer would get used to us, and we would just sort of watch and wait and see what the deer would go, which way they would go. And many times, I would have to, I would, as a lead rider, I, I would talk to the deer to see if I could get the deer to wander off to the trail. If they were going to go to the left, I would go to the right, and so forth. But it got to the point where there were so many deer who could care less about us. I would have this entire conversation with the deer, and they'd still stand there and look at me. Until one point, a child behind me on one ride goes, that lady's talking to the deer and telling it what to do. And the deer <laughs> then went to the left, and we went to the right. I was a deer whisperer. <laughs> well, and I'll tell you, Beth, you're so right about the deer because we have them here in Colorado too. And if we come up on them and they're sitting, laying down and we go by them and right at that particular moment, they decide to jump up and flee. That's going to cause a spook in your best of stoic horses, right? So we yeah, did the so same thing. We're like, look at the deer, like, will you please stand up? Right. And we kind of have the horses look at them and walk towards them so that eventually they felt pushed like a cow would. And they got up and they walked calmly off because, yes, that's not good when they 
become little and then all of a sudden they become big when they stand up last minute. Right, right. And that's happened to me several times. I would think, well, I guess we'll just kind of go. I got, I got a schedule. I got more people coming. And, you know, five horses go by and the deer stands up slowly and everybody kind of goes, ah! I bet you didn't have any trouble with uh, kids and sleds, did you? <laughs> no, not as much. I didn't have our, any trouble with Amish buggies either here in Denver. <laughs> well, our, our toboggan hill at the bottom, the, the one trail comes around the bottom of that hill to go back up to the barn. And uh, the fathers and sons couldn't understand. Well, they wanted everybody to wait at the top of the hill before they went flying down on their plastic sleds right into the middle of the trail ride. And, you know, I think that's so funny you say that. I was at um, Idrahaji, which is where my boys go to camp, and we were um, certifying some day ride trail guides a couple of weeks ago. And they have their archery range is pretty close to where you do trail riding, and they're doing the arrows, you know, away from where you ride. But still, that the noise, right, that the arrow release mm-hmm. happens and the noise when it hits the target, <laughs> the same conversation happened. All the regulars went, yeah, the first couple of rides, the horse spooks on this. I said, yeah, I bet. And they go, then after a while, they just don't care anymore. I'm like, all right. So it's interesting when you have to combine things, like especially in a camp environment, how the horses get used to it over time. But at first, it's very unusual for sure. Oh, th- yeah, there's very tense moments when Somebody's running with those big plastic sled and the wind catches it. So now it's this parasail behind it flopping and you just sort of stop and have everybody breathe and have it go by and then explain to the person how that's not a good idea or, you know, walking by and out it's raining. So you want to put up your umbrella now. And that's kind of uh, scary as well. It's called education for everyone. So we're going to wrap up here, Beth, in just a second. So just um, another kind of overall question, and then we'll go ahead and uh, see how people can find you and learn more about you if they want to call you. We have quite a few listeners that have their own horses, and if they know that their horse um, maybe is going to be spooky on the trail, what are some things that they could do before they go out that might help get their horse over some of those things? Well, I... I was thinking this too, it's a mindset for themselves first as as they get their horse ready to go for the day. It should be business as usual, pack up the same way. If you want to have an extra, like a phone with you, you can call friends when you have a wonderful time on the trail, gather all these tools ahead of time so that when you get on your horse, you're ready to ride and you need to ride your horse, not just be a passenger. And so some things in the arena you can do, you can uh, obviously put stuff in the arena to walk over and things of that nature. You could put a a coat on the fence. You could have people come by uh, talking really loud. You could do some things in the arena to kind of get your horse used to, to listening to you. And if you feel that the horse is getting a little bit too tense, first check what you're doing. Are you breathing? Are you exhaling? You can do little um, exercises, suppling exercises. So, again, you're listening to your leg and your seat and your hands. You can kind of side pass to the left, side pass to the right. Um, I think spinning fast in circles probably is not a good idea because that kind of gets the energy, energy level up where you want it to be down and a little bit mellow. And a lot of it is check what you're doing inside. Are you breathing? Are you saying some of these C words to yourself? Are you humming a little tune? 
I think that's wonderful advice. So Beth, how can people find you to learn more? Well, I, uh, my, my email is in our CHA materials. And I do have a Facebook. I, I don't have a website or anything like that. You can reach me through chainstructors.com. Very good. Well, it was so good to have you on today, Beth. Thank you so much for your tips. Oh, thank you. It was a pleasure. Have a good day. All right, and we're going to continue the conversation with our next guest, but uh, remind everybody the website again, chainstructors.com, right? That is correct. Okay. All right, so our next guest is ready. So very excited to introduce to you James Rickner. Um, James was born in Oklahoma, but Humboldt, Kansas is where he was raised. He completed a bachelor's degree in biology and business administration, and he also now has his MBA. He has done a bunch with American Camp Association, and he's also um, a CHA certified writing instructor with us and currently on our board of directors. He is a certified day ride trail guide, so he has a lot of information about our topic today. And he also, this is so exciting, he is um, married to Lauren, and he has two children, and one of them very recent. So it's very exciting to have you on today, James. Welcome. Thank you. How's everyone today? Doing okay. How's everything going there in Kansas? It is going great. We are in the midst of camp, so uh, we've kicked that off and uh, getting the day rolling this direction. So talk a little bit about Camp Chippewa and where you're located and what you guys do there as far as um, all the horse programming. Yeah, Camp Chippewa is located in uh, Ottawa, Kansas, uh, about 30 minutes south of Kansas City on I-35. Uh, we run a 35-head uh, horse program. Um, uh, Boots and Bible is our iconic program that we offer here at the camp. It's a progressional program that starts at beginner, then moves to intermediate and advanced. Um, then we also have a senior high camp, and they'll do overnight stuff uh, out on our property. Um, we're real intentional about it being a progressive program. Uh, we'll serve roughly around 100 kids a week will be out with us. Uh, anywhere from 20 to 30 of those will be in our Boots and Bible program. Hey, James. Uh, one of our goals... James, is, let me let yes, me interrupt sir. you. Yes, sir. Yeah, we're going to have to interrupt you here. Your sound is terrible. You keep cutting in and out on us. So uh, we're going to have to okay. uh, give, you a, give you a call back. Or, or you can give us a call yeah. back, but we'll see if we can get a better line. All right? Okay, apologize. All right, thanks, James. Yeah, that was pretty bad. <laughs> no, yeah, it was going in and out quite a bit. Well, James yeah. and I, while, while we're getting him back on the line, um, he brought a bunch of his uh, instructors to this Camp Idrahaji here in Colorado to get them certified as day ride trail guides. And we had this great walk one morning up to this big cross they have on the mountain. And, you know, he's from Kansas. He And we're up at 9,000 feet. And bless his heart, he did this walk. And he was great at it. But he was gasping for air. And he's quite a bit younger than me. So I found that entertaining. And I kept teasing him. <laughs> Bet you did. <laughs> Bet you did. <laughs> so tell us about while we're getting back on uh, here. Tell tell us a little bit about his camp again. Yeah, so Camp Chippewa, um, like he was saying, it is it's such a diverse program from the beginner all the way to advanced, and they do a lot. Um, they have a lot of acreage there that they can ride on, and they um, do a lot in the arena and out on the trail. So it's a very diverse program, um, and he's been with them for quite a while, and so it's it, it's a super program for anyone listening, and it's um, located in Kansas. 
You know, I think too <clears throat> when we get the when we get him back on with your next guest, I think you know the again the thing that we get the most conversation on is what happens to that adult rider who falls off and has the really big fear of getting back on. That's the one we hear the most. And whether yeah, that's and trail riding or in the ring, it's usually both, right? I mean, they just have a fear of right. getting back on, riding, period. Well, I'll tell you, I was horrible at teaching fear. I thought I was good at it until I had it myself. And then once I had it myself, I became much better at it because I could appreciate it so more and you say, do? oh, yeah. I mean, yours was because you got pregnant, you had kids, and now all of a Correct. sudden, you know, you were worried for that you weren't going to be there for your kids. So um, I was. Yeah. So what's what's what did you do? For me, it was speed events and jumping. So those are already kind of intense things on horseback. Um, and it was going slow, but sure. It was getting on horses that were a little bit more chill to start. And it was having somebody with me all the time. I didn't want to be alone anymore on a horse just in case something happens. So either my husband in the backyard doing gardening work or something or doing something on the tractor while I'm riding or um, just even out on the trail, I'd always bring a buddy with me, right? It was, I couldn't be alone anymore. That was the first thing. I was like, nope, the cell phone is not enough. I want a physical person with me. And then just a lot of breathing exercises, you know, that whole namaste thing. I'll tell you, yoga, I love it. You breathe in and then you breathe out those kinds of things, and then visualization of success. So I would visualize myself having a successful ride by looking through the horse's ears and seeing their ears, and also like I was looking at myself on a um, TV screen. And a lot of your professional coaches do this for sports. They have all of their athletes do that, and that was very helpful. You know, I, it's interesting, too. Uh, again, you came back and said, well, I you know, I rode other people's horses, the, the quiet school horse. Um, and, it, you know, that makes a difference. Did you have any... So if somebody falls off for whatever reason, their horse spooks or whatever reason, they're afraid to get back on, would you have somebody else work with, while while the rider is working with a, you know, bomb-proof horse, would you have somebody else work with their horse? Would that also elicit confidence that, oh, somebody's been working with my horse, my horse is going to be better, whether that's a placebo or not? Glenn, I think you should be a riding instructor. Yes, <laughs> okay. absolutely. That's true. Yes, because if I then get on their horse and show them, look, your horse is going to be good at going through the water. And then they go, oh, look, the horse can do it. And then guide them through doing it. Then they have that that knowledge and that visualization of, ah, we can do this together. So I think you're absolutely right. And I think one of the, the recurring themes we have here, and this is tough for some of the people that we have listening that live way out in the middle of nowhere, truly the middle of nowhere, um, is, is you need help. In one form or another, help is the best way to, to overcome this. Uh, yes. Yeah. Hey, yeah, Glenn, and, Glenn and Christy, it looks like we've got James back. Okay, good. Oh, wonderful. Hi, James. So let me dive right in. What is your background in trail riding and training horses and humans for the trail experience? Yeah, uh, I've, I have been uh, in, in riding programs for the last 15 years, uh, predominantly at Camp Chippewa. I grew up camping here and then working here seasonally and been full-time with them for uh, almost 10 years now. So uh, I've spent a lot of time working uh, with horses particularly, but then uh, the psychology of, uh, of people um, also plays a huge part in setting up a good successful opportunity for those first riders or uh, folks that have had uh, experiences that they might not have found much uh, value in. 
So could you explain without, of course, saying names to protect those, the, the innocent, right? Could you give us some specific examples of things that you've done with clients and campers and students over the years that have had fear, especially while out on the trail and how you've helped them overcome it? Well, uh, I think it all starts with the end in mind um, and, and, and offering up the knowledge and, and, and setting the situation up for success. Uh, so making sure that you meet folks where they're at, um, it's real important as we're getting ready to go out on the ride that folks are really honest with their experience and their skill levels. Uh, so we know where we can start, um, to set up that situation, that horse rider combination selection piece is, is critical, uh, for setting up that successful ride. And, uh, I talked to all of our staff that you're not always going to make the right decision, but you got to go with the decision and, um, be flexible. I think some of the challenges we've had here uh, early this morning with technology offers a great the, the discussion piece of how easy it is just to flow right in and uh, continue the day and with a big smile on your face. That's true. And, you know, technology is the bane of our existence, but also the benefit, right? It kind of goes both ways. But, so, you, know, you know, he brought something else interesting up. He said, uh, be honest when you go out on these types of rides. And I bet you, you see a ton of people who are all macho come out and say, oh, I've ridden before. And you can, what they don't realize is you can tell in one second what, as they get to get on their horse whether they've ridden before. Right? I mean, no yeah, point in lying. The, <laughs> in the short time that I had, what little experience I have, uh, I found there are three things in life that don't lie, and that's uh, horses, children, and dogs. Um, <laughs> that uh, The horse is going to let you know right away where that, uh, uh, where that guest is at uh, mentally and uh, experience-wise. Uh, you can tell pretty quick uh, if they're uh, being honest with you and uh, to help you make sure you make a good uh, horse rider combination selection. So, and that is the key to everything, and also one of the hardest things we do, James, is horse rider combination. So, I think you're absolutely right about that. Um, so, for you, what tools do you have them do before they go out, maybe in an arena or in an enclosed space that might be helpful? Yeah. So, uh, we like to talk a lot about um, what I, verbalizing and trying to make sure that you're uh, speaking to the, to the rider and what, what level they're at. So sometimes in the horse world, we like to use a lot of uh, fancy terminology, uh, that first time riders might not be real familiar with. So making sure that we, uh, get it to that level where they can absorb it and it makes sense to them. Uh, we also talk a lot about what are the, some of those things that horses do when they're relaxing. I think being relaxed up there is key and that can be a real challenge when we're, uh, first time out on the trail. So, uh, taking a deep breath, um, you know, even licking your lips, blinking your eyelids, uh, relaxing your, you know, your lower back and those types of things, uh, they, they can start to relate that to the horse. And a lot of times that horse will take on the same uh, disposition of the rider if you can get the rider to that point. So those are a lot of things that we try, we'd like to cover there uh, in the arena and, and, and offer them the opportunity to experience that in a controlled environment before we get out on the trail or things might get a little hairy and um, you can find yourself in, uh, I like to call it an opportunistic situation for growth, but uh, some of us look at it as, uh, you know, a challenging situation, but uh, yeah. So those are the kind of things we like to focus on. 
That's good. And James, a lot of our folks that are listening, you know, have their own horses and have ridden quite a bit, but they still perhaps have the fear. What can those types of riders do when they're out on the trail to help them when the, the fear sets in? You know, uh, I, I think re- reminding yourself, uh, uh, where you're at. Um, I think fear can be good. Uh, you know, it's really, uh, you are climbing on a 1200 pound animal. So anytime you get up there, uh, I don't, if there wasn't any fear present, I think you might want to check your pulse a bit, but, uh, you know, so the fear, fear is a good thing. It's what you do with that fear and how you, uh, use it as a productive, uh, direction for you instead of, uh, inhibiting and, the worst thing, you know, it's just like a horse. You can't ever get, move forward until you have movement. Um, so I find getting people up there and getting movement, controlled movement, or hopefully movement in a good direction. Uh, you know, horses can't think unless their feet are moving. Uh, that's the only way they re- get to their thinking side of their brain. When you get a horse that's locked up and they're not moving anywhere, that's when bad stuff starts to happen. So uh, getting getting some movement in them and then talking them through some of these opportunities uh to utilize their, their cues and, uh, you know, always remembering to take a deep breath and golly smile a little bit. Hopefully we're having a little fun while we're doing this. So, uh, that's kind of my thoughts. James, I love that you brought up the fact about a horse is only thinking when their feet are moving. You know, we had this conversation just a few weeks ago when we were up at Idrahaji together, and that is key. You know, when you're out on the trail, the worst thing you can do is, um, especially in a group environment, if you're leading a trail ride, is stop it. You've got to keep it going, right? Because if the horses are used to following that tail in front of them and they just keep on going, and you can point out the fauna and flourage as you're going, and you can just kind of do all that kind of stuff, it's way better than if you stop and have to deal with an issue. Um, so I think that that's, that that's a good thing to know that sometimes stopping can be worse. So if you're having some fear out on the trail, go ahead and circle your horse a little bit, go ahead and walk, you know, and just kind of keep, keep the horse's feet moving. Um, I think is super. So that's, that's a really good piece of advice. So now let's yeah. switch James from rider over to horse. Uh, what are some specific right. examples of things that have happened to you on the trail with horses that are afraid that maybe you yourself were riding? You know, they can get afraid of so much, a bridge crossing, a water crossing, and how do you get them through it? Um, yeah, so personally, uh, you know, bridges and, uh, gosh, there's so many things out on the trail you can come up on. Bridges, water, uh, wildlife is a big thing that we deal with, especially in the, on our spring rides with turkey. Uh, some of the most uh, energized situations I've been in is when you come up on a hen sitting on a nest and she wants to fly it. She flies up underneath your horse and the horse squirts out and spins around real quick. And, uh, hopefully you're not off to the races. Uh, uh, so I, I think making sure that you stay calm and relaxed and the, you know, with horses being uh, herd animals, they're always looking for leadership. If you can stay calm and, uh, you know, a lot, I find that, a lot of us, when we get when we get nervous, we move into that fetal position where our hands and our feet are trying to go towards the center of our body, and that's you're really giving that horse mis- you know indirect cues uh, with the stop and go all at the same time. So the more relaxed we can stay up there and take a deep breath, and um, you know help and, and also build on stuff. Start start small and then uh, build build your energy to to get a desired response as you have to. Um, but then make sure you keep setting it up. Uh, it, like, again, it's okay for a horse to maybe balk at something a little bit and, uh, not want to cross the stream. Um, you know, just be there to support them and, uh, get maybe one foot in the water and then turn around and you don't have to, you know, put him right, 
right there in the middle of it right away. Uh, take the time, take, take the time for the horse and make sure you appreciate the little things, uh, that you're doing with them. And with these particular horses that, you know, might have these issues before you go out, what advice can you give our listeners to some steps that they can do at home before they go out in their arena or fields that might help them then have success for those fearful horses while out on the trail? Yeah. So we will, we like to start all of our rides off in the arena. Um, there's a lot of things that you can stage up in an arena with our, with our horses. Anytime I've got experienced staff around or, uh, we can do stage trail rides with our, our counseling staff and folks that might be a little bit more comfortable up on top of that horse. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll try to really energize some of these situations to, uh, offer the horse an, an experience before we don't have an inexperienced rider up there. Um, but we can stage that up to, uh, for him to grow. Um, and I think that's really key, especially early on in your programs or, um, with your own horse, uh, knowing that, uh, you can, it, it, it's okay to kind of offer them some, some more, you know, tarps and things like that, that, uh, they can really grow from before you get out on the trail. Uh, or if you get, before you start putting inexperienced riders on, uh, make sure that that horse has had the opportunity in, in an environment where they can succeed. Uh, and if, you make sure that you're setting it up enough times where they have that opportunity to, to grow. I would agree because, you know, the more we do, the practice makes perfect, right? The more we practice and that practice doesn't necessarily have to always be out and about. It can be in an enclosed environment to help overcome fear for both horse and rider. So going both ways. Yeah. Um, is there anything in, in particular that you want to add uh, before we go ahead and let listeners know how to find you? Um, you know, I don't know if there's anything particular, uh, keep doing what you're doing. And, uh, you know, there's always, there's lots of folks out there to help, uh, lots of people that are passionate about, you know, providing good experiences for folks to find value in their horses. And, uh, I don't think there's a bad horse. It's just how much time does it take to get them to be in, uh, some of the express some of those desirable traits. So, uh, keep utilizing your resources and reaching out. I know that they're, you're not the only one struggling. So speaking of resources, for those that are in your neck of the woods there in Kansas, how do they go about finding you? Yeah, so they can find me on the CHA Instructors website. Um, also on campchippewa.org. That's C-A-M-P-C-H-I-P-P-E-W-A.org. Um, you can also uh, reach me on Facebook as well. James Rickner or Camp Chippewa uh, is our Facebook stuff. Super. Well, James, thanks so much. And thank you for taking time out of your busy camp season to be on the show today. We really appreciate it. No, it's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. All right. I think we've had some good conversation here today. Yeah, I'm excited about it. I want to share just really quickly. Phil brought up something that made that reminded me of something. Um, that same horse that had the water crossing issue. Um, you want your horse to, if you're on the trail on your own or with just one person and they're not a seasoned horse, if they're going to spook at something, we're always taught, right, have the horse look at it. And then after they've looked at it, go ahead and kind of move on. But he wouldn't st stand still enough to do that. So I did this thing where I would put my hands and physically touch his withers since that's where horses scratch one another. And I would just scratch him, right? I would just very calmly just do a little scratch there. And that meant you can't move. And then if you would go to move, I'd lift up one rein, keep the one hand on his withers and give him a gentle pull back and say, ho. 
And little by little, he learned, all right, when the hands are on the withers, all four feet are not allowed to move. But I get that little scratch and I like it. And then I'd wait until he licked and chewed because licking and chewing, right, is a sign of submission in the horse. And I'm calm about this and everything's going well. You're my leader kind of thing. So that's just another thought for that lady who called in um, and or I'm sorry, emailed in and for others listening that really worked for my particular horse. So maybe if you have a horse that's a little fearful and you can also teach yourself that same thing, right? When I start getting worried and concerned, maybe if I stop my horse and scratch his withers, we'll have a little bonding moment and we can both lick and chew and breathe. Jennifer, do you have anything to add to this whole thing today for the, for the rider who? There I am. I'm back. The, uh, Something that I see a lot of because I get to hang out with a lots and lots of trail riders. And yeah, that's I'm why I so ask. Happy that, yeah, some that are experienced yeah, and some that have never had a lesson. It's vibrant, yeah. at least. Yeah. <laughs> um, do not underestimate your lack of influence on your horse. Trail riders have a propensity to focus on training the horse. They desensitize them. They take them to trail clinics. They work them over obstacles all sorts of stuff like this. And they put just about zero amount of time into their own training. Yes. The horse will walk through a children's baby pool filled with empty plastic bottles. But as he is doing that, you as the rider are leaning forward at a 30 degree angle. You have no weight in your heels. Your knees are pinched and the reins are too long. So if, and, or when, and it's going to be when people, something does go wrong, you're already three quarters of the way on the ground. That's my, that's for me. And that's a huge thing. I think so many people that ride, especially on trail, they want that, oh, I'm just going to have a really, really long rain and let my horse chill out. Well, especially if you're in a direct pressure bit, which is a snaffle, um, and the rain attaches directly to the mouthpiece, you got to have contact with the reins. I mean, you well, have and, to, and, and especially that, if things if are you, about if to happen. You, if, if you want a super long rain, fine. But take the time to train yourself. When you learn to drive a car, you learn to drive it as an automatic transmission with your right foot on the gas or your right foot on the brake. If you're driving around in your automatic transmission with your right foot on the gas and your left foot on the brake, you're doing it wrong. And you're doing it wrong for a very important reason. Riding works the same way. It doesn't matter if you're an Olympic rider or Joe Schmo the trail rider. There's a reason that equitation counts. It's because when things do go wrong, and they will, you have a better chance of A, staying on, and B, having a positive influence over your horse. I see it all the time at clinics and play days where people are working with their horses over, over obstacles. And there invariably are a number of fearful riders in the group because they've taken some bad spills. Well, they get back on the horse, and again, they focus on, okay, the horse dumped me last time because a deer jumped out in front of him. So we're going to start baby steps. First, we're going to have a stationary fake deer. We're going to get past that. And then we're going to have this and this and this. And they take all those baby steps without ever taking a moment to think about their own riding position. Well, I think part of that, not to be cruel, is they they don't even know they have a riding position, a lot of them. Um, well, they do. Yeah, they do. But they've never <laughs> taken a lesson and they're just out there riding having a good time. So let me and- give them a piece of advice. When you're sitting on your horse, and I don't care what saddle you're in, and you're sitting correctly, if you very gently look over your knee, you should not ever see your toe. 
i.e. no chair seat. If you look to the side of your knee, you should be able to see the outside edge of your stirrup because that means your calf is on your horse and your calf needs to be on your horse in all disciplines. And if you look yeah. down at your hands and you're riding two-handed, your thumb should be up and pointing towards diagonal ears. If you have all that going on, at walk, trot, and canter, walk, jog, and lope, you're going to be pretty darn balanced in the saddle. And it's a great way to self-regulate yourself if you don't have somebody yeah. there to watch or somebody to video. Or if you look down at your kneecap and you almost fall off your horse, something's gone wrong. Yes, you want to be able to glance peripherally <laughs> and not have the big lean forward. And the big thing I say, Jen, to everybody, you do not ride your horse like a motorcycle or a bike. That's not how we turn on a horse. We turn from our center. You don't dip your shoulder. So for those of you that have motorcycle and bike riding extravaganza in your background, you're going to have to unlearn that and relearn oh, how to turn your to... horse without that. Yeah, and it is the biggest yeah. thing that I see in my clients. That have a lot of that. So it's something else to think about when you're self-regulating your own riding. All right. Very good. Well, I think we've covered a lot today. We ho I hope it's helped uh, anybody out there who, who is in this situation. And, of course, Christy can be found at and all of the instructors. If you need one in your area, they have them almost everywhere. So. Yes, chainstructors.com. And for those of you listening that have particular questions, please feel free to reach out to me. Um, I This is what I do for my day job. So I would love to answer questions and help you through things or help you find somebody near you to do so in person. What's so your, thank you very what's much. What's your email today. again? Uh, my email is C and then my last name, L-A-N-D-W-E-H-R for landwear at chainstructors.com. And if you want to learn anything about any topic, we've probably covered it here on the CHA episode. Just go to Horses in the Morning, scroll down, horsesinthemorning.com, scroll down to the middle of the page, and you'll see a whole bunch of little logos for our special Tuesdays and Thursday episodes. Click on CHA, and it'll bring up all the past episodes here that we have done over the years. And you're probably going to find a topic that uh, you're interested in. And you can always go back and take a listen to them. You can usually find those on the website. We only can t uh, keep about 50 past episodes on all of the iTunes players and uh, Android players, that's all they allow us to do. So for the really older ones, you almost have to go back to the website and take a listen, which you can do on your phone as well. You can uh, follow Horses in the Morning on Facebook. Don't forget to do that. Just search for Horses in the Morning. And we don't mention this very often, but we are on Twitter under Horse Radio. And uh, our app iOS or Android, search for Horse Radio Network. It's free. It's easy. Uh, we've had about a 1,000 people download it in the past 90 days. So you, too, can get the app and listen to all of our shows from there. Well, thank you, Christy. Appreciate it. Hey, Glenn. Yep. Hey, Glenn. Yes. Yep. Didn't you forget something at the beginning of the show? Oh, I did. We have a couple of birthdays. Oh, yay. Yeah. Lindsay, I'm probably going to butcher your name, but Auditor Lindsay LeCourcier uh, is her birthday today, and I will not butcher your name. Arita Brown's birthday is today as well. So happy birthday to both of those auditors. And if you want to become an auditor, you can do that too. Just go to horseradionetwork.com, scroll down the right-hand side of the page, and you'll see the little auditor banner for as little as a dollar a month. You can help support the network that you love so much and all the hosts. Uh, well, now we can say goodbye, Christy. Sounds good, Glenn. It was my pleasure. Talk to you next month. 
Jamie and Sally will be here tomorrow morning on Horses in the Morning, hosting. Jennifer will be here. Bye, Jen.